everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. We're doing a uh, good movie from 1959. At least actually in January of 59, which is rare for a major uh, movie like this. Uh, it's from the Walt Disney Studios. It is probably one of their more celebrated for artistic animation quality and one of the most uh, beloved villains of all time. Where, of course, we're talking about Sleeping Beauty. Now, Sleeping Beauty is a unique film in that uh, Disney did some very interesting animation styles with it. Now, and of course, we're only going to talk about the animated movie, not the um, two sequels with Angelina Jolie, the live-action ones, which, by the way, are very good and deserve their own um, podcast discussions um, for different reasons. You know, it's definitely more... Uh, that's the one that most people agree deserves the most praise for the experimenting with. This film also, I think, deserves a lot of praise. Uh, be- if you've ever got seen the Blu-ray editions, or I think now on Disney Plus, the uh, new transfers, you can see how cleaned up, how gorgeous this film was. Uh, it was made for a 70 millimeter screening, so it was much wider, and they took advantage of that by having these very gorgeous uses of vistas and shots where you can see them going through like uh, overpasses and stuff like that. It's very unique. They also uh, took a unique uh, idea, which is they uh, studied French Renaissance and medieval art, and decided to drop the traditional art style and go more for a uh, style that is more looked into how you would see from Fantasia. So, you know, Walt's going back to, uh, well, he hadn't touched in almost 20 years, which is kind of more, less cartoony, more uh, artistic. Now, I'm not saying some of uh, Disney's films during this period were not, you know, they all had different things. For instance, Alice in Wonderland, you know, we'll do that one eventually, way different than, say, some of the other ones. If you look, but if you see movies like Lady and Tramp, and to a lesser extent, Cinderella and Peter Pan. There's less. There's more of a traditional, cartoony Walt Disney style to it. So when we get to this one, though, they're definitely taking a different perspective. Also, instead of a, uh, you know, classic Disney score, they take a uh, previously done ballet score by Tchaikovsky on Sleeping Beauty and uh, adapt the movie around that, which I give them big credit for. Uh, and, you know, the music itself much more, like, catchier. I, you know, if... I, I, w- I honestly say that's one of the smartest things they they did, which was instead of trying to make, like, a 1950s-style singing to it, which is, unfortunately, dates some of the movies during this time. This one, because it's got a more classical sound to it, it sounds more, and there's more of an interesting depthness to it. Now, of course, Once Upon a Dream... Probably one of, I would put in the top ten best Disney songs of all time too. It's definitely a more um, fascinating, and I, I mean I know Lana Del Rey did a very catchy cover as well. But uh, quite, there's been several versions of it. Mary Costa, who plays Aurora, does a fantastic job singing with, and uh, you get the idea that it's a uh, far more uh, whimsical but interesting song. So I, I, you know for song, you know, there's not much in here for singing. And that's one thing that's very credited. They don't make this a full musical. All the music is more from a, is for dancing and for instant, you know, uh, I guess you would call um, background music. It's more of a score than it is a, and you don't really, aside from her singing, there's not much. You know, you don't hear the fairies breaking into songs. Maleficent doesn't have a angry like vengeance song or anything like that. It's it's a different take. They went more for like a um, style that I gotta give them credit for. 
it strains enough out of most of the um, Pixar. Actually, I would uh, must have been have more influence in because there's a lot less singing in that one. Most of their films usually is background. So aside from Once Upon a Dream, there's not much. It's way more of the music's the background. You know, you hear some singing during Aurora's birth party, but it's more of a um, I guess you'd call it chor- chorus response. Despite the, and of course, one of the things I think should be addressed too about this film is just how effective Maleficent is and how memorable. Out of all of the uh, villains, she's probably the most iconic, more than even the Evil Queen or, like, say, Ursula or anything like that. I mean, if you go to Disney parks, there's, they love using Maleficent for different things because she's such a well-developed villain. I mean, they've had some very good villains, but, like, Maleficent seems to be the iconic villain. I mean, that's why she's got two spin-off movies herself. So, like, that's how you get somebody like Angelina Jolie, who's a very accomplished actress, but also very quirky actress and very, you know, known to turn down things, uh, would agree to do two sequels, I mean, two of these films so far, and apparently go through the makeup process, too. Uh, I mean, if you're a fan of Kingdom Hearts, you know she's the main, usually one of the main villains involved in <clears throat> those games as well. So Maleficent definitely won. I mean, literally, if you go to Disney World, there's uh, I mean, if you see the the um, fant- Phantasmic show, she's the main villain of that one also. Yeah, when she transforms into that dragon, it's a, a epic thing. That's actually one of the things that bugged me about uh, Once Upon a Time series was they didn't really use Maleficent much, and I understand there were some reasons they were told not to. So whenever she did show up, she was only in like a couple... She only really had one season she was involved, aside from a couple of appearances in the first season. They kept, they wanted to not use Maleficent much so they could save it for the movies they were developing. And I give them credit. Smart thing to do. So a lot about Maleficent that was left to be explored with. Uh, I, another thing that I love is the just the, the nature of it. Like her minions, which are basically goblins. I think they're supposed to be goblins or maybe even orcs to an extent. They're uh, grossly designed, but uh, effective too. You know, when we see them capture Philip, it's you know they look a little terrifying. You know, when you first see them, they're kind of buffoonish, but when they actually get to down damage, they're pretty effective. Her, uh, you know, Maleficent's Ravens, fantastic. Uh, that's another excellent, excellent drawing. The fairies and her clearly have a rivalry that goes back far longer, and it's the fact that they were able to avoid capture for all these years kind of shows how, how effective the fairies have been at kind of holding her back over the centuries. Now, there's some comical stuff, I think, is kind of, I, I, you know, the bit where the fairies are constantly trying to trying to make an cake and the dresses. It's interesting, too, because I, I watched it today with my daughter. She's become really obsessed with this. And Meriwether, the uh, one who's the wisdom fairy, said, makes a comment. She doesn't have, you know, she's never made a cake that big or made a dress, but and you realize she's been doing all the main housework, and she is the one who, unfortunately, could not give Aurora her gift of wisdom. Which you would argue that's not fair. Aurora didn't get any wisdom, but she's got some street smarts. I think Meriwether's been the one who's been doing the main teaching with her. You know, she was blessed with beauty by uh, Flora and Fauna blessed her with great singing. And it's funny, when they both try to make a dress and make a cake, they are terrible at it. Meriwether, you can almost say, wanted to use wands because she knows how bad they, you know, they're good at certain things, but they're not good at practical things. And I think that's an interesting one. You see their roles, you know. 
Flora is a uh, visual. Fauna is more of a uh, sound. <clears throat> her powers are more sound related, and you know, Meriwether is more grounded. So that's you know maybe why they are different. Their colors are very distinct. And you know I, I gotta give credit. You know Prince Philip is probably actually one of the better princes too because he he's not really interested in this whole I want to. You know he's not. He wants to rescue this girl. He has no idea this is his betrothed because he's never met her. He does meet her and fall in love with her by kind of chant happenstance. Which, but he's also like, I don't want to marry this woman that my father paid for me. So it's definitely a uh, nice little, you know, twist on the uh, prince a little bit. As opposed to say, you know, some of the other uh, Disney princesses are a little different. I would argue that, you know, Prince Eric and Prince Philip are kind of the same mold to an extent. Yeah, they don't, you know, now in Prince Eric's case, he just doesn't want to get married until he meets the right girl. Prince Philip meets the right girl, he just, you know, is told he's not supposed to marry her, so. Uh, and I like how uh, King Stephen, very interesting drawn. Um, now, I'm not going to compare to say what happens in the Maleficent live action films to this Stephen. Um, seems a little more regal, and of course, uh, the other, you know, Philip's father is. Little more, it's clearly just the same king from Cinderella, but you know, may in fact, pretty much the same voice. But I like that he's you know, he seems to be also a um, responsive to reaction. You know, he he's like, he, you know, his goal is to unite his kingdom with uh, Stefan's kingdom. What you know, what they're you know, which is traditional medieval politics. In fact, you know, believe it or not, this kind of thing went on even up to World War One, where kings will unite based on political marriages. Um, before we kind of, you know, since we're talking about a visual medium, it is a little hard just to talk about certain things, but I do, I got to credit, you know, the final, basically, battle where uh, Philip and the fairies escape from her her uh, fortress, and then all the different things that happen in the process of her trying, him trying to get to wake up Sleeping Beauty is really unique. I got to give them credit. First of all, you know, the thorns. It's, it's an interesting callback, ironically, to another Disney movie, which, you know... But, uh, the thorns themselves are very, uh, horrific in a way. It's, it's very great the way they kind of appear around there. And then, of course, when Melissa himself that turns into a dragon, it's really well done. It's, you know, they clearly took some effort in making sure that this final sequence goes great, you know. When, you know, she's a battling step, you know, Philip, and Philip, you know, shield gets destroyed, and all he's got left is his sword, and, you know, the fairy's enchanted. Although, the enchantment itself, I think, just maybe just allows them him to pierce her, because you get the vibe that her that dragon form, she can't just be uh, stabbed by a normal sword. You know, he shows real... It's it's an interesting battle sequence. Disney usually didn't do this kind of thing. They, It wasn't really their style. They usually just prefer more kind of... Maybe lightheartedness. This is a very graphic, you know, kill. You know, we think about it, the Wicked Queen, you know, she fell off a, a, off a ledge and a rock clearly crushes her, but we don't see that. When we deal with, you know, like, Cinderella, nothing happens to the Wicked Queen. She just, you know, fails, you know. This is a case where the evil is destroyed. And, and very graphic, I mean, stabbings. You know, if you compare, like, later when we got, like, Sword and Stone, you know, Mad Madam Mim. All she does is get the flu. 
maybe that's coronavirus who knows but uh anyway yeah of course we get the ending bit where he kisses her awake which you know some people joke you know, oh he kissed her and that's it and, but it's a fairy tale for me, one thing I uh, stress is that, you know, the people I talk about, she seemed pretty much like the ultimate, like, victim character. Well, it's because Maleficent is that effective of a villain that there's very little uh, Sleeping Beauty can do. She's basically, when she gets to the castle, is under her immediately hypnotized, you know. They, they don't, and she, you know, is immediately put into her sleep spell. I mean, it's a case of the villain, they made the villain so good so effective that there was nothing Sleeping Beauty could do. So I'm not, you know, it's not the characters written. They wrote the villains so well. So one of the things I like to pra- you know, praise is Disney took an effort to make one of the best villains of all time. Like, like for instance, her and, and say, Ursula. Those are probably the two best to compare. Ursula has, is, gets very active constantly trying to make sure that her scheme is, kind of also shows how uh, desperate Ariel is. In this particular case, Sleeping Beauty, you know, Aurora doesn't have any, doesn't actively get involved in any of this stuff. She, she's literally a case of this is, she's been cursed since she was born. You know, Maleficent's got a, has had a plan for this for decades, for specific reasons. Why 16? You know, because she's wanting to stop this unite, uh, unification of the kingdoms. So, once again, I gotta give credit. It's, you know, Disney, what they did was made such a fantastic villain that it's almost as much about the villain as it is the princess. So, when she dies, you know, the, it's, it's pretty much a happy ending no matter what. Because they, 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 they it's a backdoor really about how great of a character Maleficent is, which is why there is so much Maleficent fandom. Anyway, if you're a fan of uh, this movie, please let me know what you think about this. Just see if you agree with me. Is is the reason the movie is great, not just because of the animation, but really because Melissa is that good of a villain. Anyway, my name's Tom. I hope uh, you enjoyed this. Make sure to uh, get right review on on whatever platform you're using. And please uh, send us a comment on our uh, Twitter account, Good Bad Nerdy Pod. I'll see you all next time.